right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. My name is Kevin Foss. I am your host, and I'm a licensed clinician specializing in OCD and anxiety out here in California um, and Montana so far. I don't know if I'll add any other states. But I work in those states. Anyways, um, I- I'm happy that you all joined me, everybody. This is a question and, answer based po- question and answer based podcast. If you have questions about OCD and anxiety spectrum disorders and how to work with them and how to get better from them, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can go to the submit a question link and you can send me a question just like the various people on this here episode. Um, you can uh, ask me a question there. I will read it, think about it, consider it, and likely put it up in a future episode as I'm doing here. So everybody, I've been a little bit behind in trying to get my episodes out, so I do apologize. Um, I've also been told that I don't need to do a whole bit at the front end of the episode, so uh, I'm just going to try to get into it. Um, I I will say, though, if you are in the Southern California area, actually, I'm going to say this, if you are anywhere in the stinking world, and I anticipate that folks who are listening to this are somewhere in the world... Um, coming up later in the summer, I believe at the end of July, I will be speaking at the SoCal OCD conference, and I will be joined by the great and powerful Kelly Frankie and Lauren McMeekin of Instagram fame. Y'all probably know them, and uh, they are wonderful and delightful people, and I can confirm as people off mic off Instagram. They're delightful people. They're just wonderful people to hang out with. Anyways, um, so we are going to be doing a little bit of a talk at that conference on OCD and anxiety. So if you would like to join, go check out OCD SoCal or SoCal OCD. I think it's OCD SoCal. Go check that out. Um, I'll put a link in the uh, episode page uh, for this on uh, over at fearcastpodcast.com to learn a little bit more about it. But if you would like to um, join us for that conference uh, before the IOCDF conference, which I think is in October, um, go check us out over there. It should be a fun chat. We'll be talking about, to no surprise, OCD and exposure and response prevention. What it is, how to do it, how to make it work better. Uh, what are some variations of it? So it should be really fun. And um, I, I'm, uh, I'm really excited to be presenting with um, uh, Kelly and Lauren. They're, they're good people. So anyhow. Um, all right, everybody. For this episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about some follow-up from my episode on real event OCD and cancel culture. So I'm realizing that um, that I'm finally getting around to some questions that were asked in summer of 2020. So it was weird to realize that I put out the real event OCD episode that long ago, and that I have this much of a backlog of of questions. So everybody, please forgive me for not getting to your questions. I am trying to get to your questions. I'm trying to do three or two or many in one episode. So um, uh, maybe I should just do once a week. I'm just musing now. Anyways, um, so th- th- these uh, these questions came as a response to that. If you have questions about that, what they're talking about, check out the Real Event OCD episode if you haven't already. It's a really good one. I think it was a really good one. Um, as a bit of a primer, Real Event OCD is just OCD, but it is going to be rumination about things that actually happen. Notice that a lot of OCD has to do with things that have not happened or things that may have happened or could have happened. Real event OCD is stuff that actually happened. Not to be confused with a kissing cousin of real event OCD, which is false memory OCD, which is the question is, well, did I do this? Is it a memory? But anyways, real event OCD is things that we know actually happen, but then rumination about that event 
Could I have done it differently? Would I have done it differently? And also, how it overlaps with what was really, really popular a year ago, and even today, about cancel culture. And the huge worry was, what if I said this thing? What if I did this thing 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 20 minutes ago? that is going to result in my cancellation, which is being fired, being nixed off of the internet, which is going to, or, or, or otherwise, just, I get the black spot of death, and I'm never going to be able to recover from that in my career, and my life, and my love life, and everything is going to be ruined as a result of it. It was terrifying. And if you didn't live through it, if you're listening to this in 20 years in the future, and you didn't live through the cancel culture mo- mo- movement of 2020, you're welcome. So, I am also proceeding through this episode with caution and fear myself. Whenever I talk about cancel culture, I always assume I'm going to say something wrong and there's going to be a misstep. And I am going to say something that is going to ruffle feathers. And I'm going to say something that in 20 years, 10 years, five years, two minutes from now that I'm going to regret. Now, I've already said things on this podcast that I do regret, and if I could go back and do them differently, I certainly would, but alas, I cannot. And I'm going to leave it up. I'm going to leave it up. But what our job is to do in Real Event OCD, and I guess I'm getting ahead of myself, everybody, is to tolerate the existence of that event and to sit with the anxiety that maybe we are going to get canceled, but to keep moving forward, to educate ourselves and to try to be better But to remember that we can't be perfect and to remember that we cannot change the past. But to acknowledge that there are things in our past that we wish we could do differently and that we will try to do differently in the future if given a similar scenario. But to know that there's nothing about the past that we can do and ruminating about it for the hundredth time this moment is probably going to be unhelpful. So we're going to talk further about that with these two questions. So um, the two people who sent these in, and I'm sure I have many, many more that I will eventually get to, um, uh, we will be talking about these. So first off, everybody, if you have further questions about um, real event OCD or cancel culture, feel free to go over to fearcastpodcast.com and send in your question or your comment. If you would like to comment on these uh, questions, or you would like to give feedback about my answers to them, also go over to Fearcast Podcast. I will be doing a feedback episode in the future of feedback that I have received from previous uh, listeners. Some good, some not so good. And we will be talking about those. So in this episode, though, we're going to be talking about cancel culture. We talked about that real event. Anyways, so I'm going to get on to that. So I just want to give that a little bit of a primer before we jump into that. Uh, so, um, so you know that we're all not going to be surprised by it. So All right, everybody, without further ado, on to those questions. All right, so this first question comes from Betty, and I'll admit this, uh, the the comment is a little long, so stick with me as I try to read this as, as, as fast, but as clearly as I can. So Betty says, hi. I listened to your episode on cancel culture with some trepidation, given that I myself have been a victim of cancel culture. I was worried that your advice on cancel culture would be something along the lines of, it could happen to you, but it's not likely. However, I appreciate that instead you took a moral stance against it. 
I'm in the arts, which is an arena especially vulnerable to this toxic phenomenon. I'm also someone who teaches and have seen how this cultural phenomenon has negatively affected my students, including making bullying more normalized. And they quote, as they say, it's as accountability, quote, accountability, and giving a lot of my students anxiety and fear. My question is, if you have experienced cancel culture because you are in the public eye, and I know people who are not in the public eye experience it too, how do you overcome it? Personally, I've not only experienced it more than once for different and minor things that weren't even very morally wrong per se, and they just says parenthetically, for example, for having too many white people in a project, a legit criticism, but not worth canceling someone over in my opinion. But because call-out culture is so rampant in the arts, I've experienced multiple people trying to cancel me who were not successful, grasping at literally anything they could. I've had to become super savvy to avoid and thwart these almost cancellations. I realize this probably sounds absurd and implausible, but I assure you, it is what's really happening in the arts, not just to me, but to my friends as well, especially those more successful than me. Everyone is scared, and I'm stressed over it. I've retreated quite a bit in the past few years, just focusing on other work, because I struggle to want to put my art out there and face the backlash, since now the backlash can include losing real opportunities and jobs. I just don't know how to navigate this culture. I found myself requesting old work of mine be removed from the internet, and have tremendous social anxiety around doing events and interviews, as my spoken word, or even sometimes just a word someone decides to take out of context, can be what they use to destroy your reputation. I realize you're not a magical genie who can solve this problem. But my question for you is, how to stay the course as a very minor public figure when the phenomenon is very real and there are actually people trying to destroy you as a result of it? I'm often unsure if I should stay in my field because I could imagine just doing other work where the scrutiny simply isn't that high. And of course, on top of all this, I have real event OCD, and I often obsess about things I did that got me canceled, as well as things I did post-cancellation as a result of extreme anxiety, such as flaking out on art events and canceling interviews. I have PTSD from a few different conflating things, but that and my real event OCD are so much worse, all in caps, because of the insanity of having people trying to, quote, call me out over literally anything I do. It's like living with an abusive person who gets angry at you for breathing. It's just really, really stressful. It's all a lot, she ends. Oh boy, Betty, thank you so much for that question. Oh, I'm so sorry you're having to go through that and, and that you have experienced some of this, uh, some of the cancel culture that we were describing. Um, you're right. I, I wish I was a magical genie that could give you all the answers and tell you exactly how to navigate the intricacies and struggles and issues all within cancel culture so that you are able to do your art without question exactly the way that you see fit. However, unfortunately, as you said, I'm not that magical genie. As I, as I even answer this question and try to even delve into this, I'm I am myself am going, man, am I going to be able to answer this question correctly? Am I going to give you advice that is going to be cancel worthy? Now, to a certain degree, it could be my own paranoia. It could be my buying into the, 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 the cancel culture out there. And this is not me saying that you have not experienced this. This is also speaking to my own thoughts about this. So, Betty, as I sit here trying to figure out how to appropriately guide you, I think about 
what I had mentioned in that episode is that is is that cancel culture and the fear of being canceled or being excessively criticized or scrutinized is is and can prevent people from taking risks and taking artistic risks or personal risks or relational risks. Notice that you've been talking about this. Simply the, the fear of the potential has led you to cancel to cancel yourself, cancel not in the cancel culture type of way, but canceling interviews, asking your art be taken down. That is great exposure for an artist. Artists need exposure. They need to be seen. They need to and they need to take risks. But when that fear is there and that fear is so present about the possibility that you could be just thrown out of the industry, that's going to throw somebody off. That's going to very much be an obstacle in the way. And I totally understand that. So, of course, while I don't think that cancel culture is healthy, I do think criticism and reflection is healthy. Um, you, you, you mentioned that uh, that the the that bullying has been normalized as as, as quote calling it accountability. Um, I think there are going to be people out there who are offering accountability, and perhaps other people are trying to um, dunk on other people, as um, I think the the kids were saying. Um, I don't think they say it anymore, and I obviously I should not either. But it's likely that some people are bullying in the name of accountability, and there are going to be others out there who are going to offer criticism in the name of accountability. And sometimes it can be in the individual who is offering that criticism. Maybe they are having trouble discerning or having trouble putting it out there in a appropriate way, and it's coming off as bullying. So it can take comments with a grain of salt. But that being said, it's also incredibly healthy that when we do receive criticism, even if it sounds ridiculous, even if it sounds like bullying or judgy or over the top, to take a step back and to say, all right, is there any validity to what this person is saying? Are they right? Even a, even a little bit. Are there things that I can do differently? Are there things that I can be more sensitive to? Can I be a bit more inclusive? Can I be a bit more uh, sensitive to other people and other people's needs or struggles or histories? And with a, with a little bit of reflection, we might be able to identify some things that, you know, if we could go back and do it again, we might do things differently. And once we can identify a couple of things, if there are a couple of things that perhaps that, that critic of ours was right on, well, perhaps we, we change course just a little bit and we, we, we move closer or we make, we make a, a, an effort to get closer towards that new ideal or, that, uh, or, taking into that, or taking that criticism rather into account as we move forward in our art or in our job, whatever that may be. Now I'm also hesitant about this next advice, though I, I, I think it uh, I think it is sound. I think it's also to be taken uh, cautiously. There is there is power in having people that can keep us accountable. Meaning, having people that we know and who know us and who we trust and we know trust us, have them as our 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 board of trustees as our advisors. And to bring some of these criticisms to them and to talk with them about the criticisms you've received and to say, hey, is there any validity to this? Are they right? Am I in the wrong here? Now, we probably don't want to find someone who is anti-woke culture um, because they, they probably are going to shut down everything. 
I'll also say we probably don't want someone who is ultra super duper woke, meaning that they are. And, and I, I actually, I think that we, we might know some of these people and that 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 person may be that, quote, accountability bullying person. So I, I, I just don't think that we need to find anybody on any of the extremes. The person that you may be looking for is someone who's kind of in the middle, someone who's rational and reasonable, who is sensitive, but is also understanding of the, the situations and struggles that 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 constrain us in 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 our in our in our life or in life right bringing your struggle to them bringing this question to them and trying to get some reasonable rational feedback and then taking that into account real event ocd isn't about making mistakes it's about making changes and then resisting the compulsive cycle that's the key to all of it is the resisting the compulsive cycle betty you're going to make mistakes as am i all you and I can do is do the best that we can in, the, in this moment with the information that we have, with the judgment and the wisdom that we have, and see how it goes. And someone will tell us that we're wrong, or someone will tell us how we're wrong. And then our job is to listen to it and see if we're willing to make that change, and then to move forward as best we possibly can. Real event OCD and or our anxiety is going to get us stuck in that mistake, quote, mistake, and have us question review, stress, ruminate, ask, check, all of those things just to try to square that event to make sure again that we're still a good person and we're not awful or racist or intentionally marginalizing other people or careless. You get the idea, right? We're trying to protect ourselves from this worry of what does this say about me? Oftentimes that is the core fear within real event OCD. So, Betty, how do you move forward in your career or stay the course as a public figure, as you said? It's to keep going. It's to keep moving forward in your career while you take into account the criticisms and advice from other trusted people and trying to progressively improve yourself and improve the work that you do and to make choices. In those choices, we will accept consequences where they may be. But we cannot let the fear of the potential stop you from doing your work, from continuing to progress yourself. And in the course of doing that, we're, we are being open to attack. This is what vulnerability means. It means being open to attack. It doesn't mean that we're going to be attacked, and it doesn't mean that we're weak, meaning it doesn't mean that we are going to get uh, trampled or canceled or something else. It's that by doing anything, by putting yourself out there even a little bit, we are making ourselves vulnerable to criticism and attack. And I say that as someone who has very minor celebrity myself. You've heard of me somehow, so... You know me. You've heard of me. You could criticize me. Every time I record this podcast, I've shared this before, every episode I end with the thought, well, this is the one that ruins my career. Now, it doesn't mean that I dwell in that. I don't then sit there and ruminate about how terrible it's going to be and, and, and let it take over my life. I simply acknowledge that, yes, there's that thought, and I'm going to redirect towards the next thing. I edit the podcast, I put it out there, and I do not re-listen to them. I re-listened to the first two episodes, and then I stopped. But that thought didn't stop either. 
Betty, this thought might not stop for you either. Every time you put a piece of work out there, that thought may be there. And that's going to be okay. Your job is to accept the presence of that thought, accept the existential threat of cancellation, and to try to learn from mistakes when we've made them. And to try to make changes that are reasonable and doable. And to resist any thoughts that suck you into the, 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 the quicksand that were terrible or awful or helpless and that that worth and that were worthless. So Betty, I hope this was helpful and thank you so much for listening. And since I know it's been some time since this question was sent in, I would love it if you hear this to send in a follow-up. How have things been since you sent this? How have things changed since you sent this? And I will try to put that up on a future episode. And if you don't want me to as well, I can also keep it uh, private. But I would love to hear how things are going since then. So best of luck and thanks for the question. So this next question comes from Elizabeth. Elizabeth says, Hi, Kevin. I just listened to your podcast on real event OCD. It describes me perfectly. I'm 62 and was a successful professional. I then experienced trauma three years ago and became a totally different person. I then did some real out-of-character things that have eaten at my core for all this time. Nothing I did caused any physical harm to anybody, but more embarrassment. And I'm ashamed to even admit what I did because it was just, quote, not me. I posted some foolish, untrue information on a social media forum regarding my brother. I literally have no idea why I did it. It had to do with anxiety and depression. He laughed about it and has moved on. He even gave me the password to his account. I, however, think about it all day, every day, and feel terrible that I even had the ability to do something like this. My therapist has had me write an exposure about what could happen if I was, quote, found out. It has been quite unsettling to read multiple times, but I know it has to be. One of my main compulsions is wanting to tell people I know about what the horrible thing is I did. Anyone who knows me would never believe I even did it. I still can't believe it. In your experience, does anyone really ever move on from this type of OCD? I know I'm a really, really good person who just did one stupid thing. If not for the trauma, I would have never done it. It is frightening to think that I will be consumed with this event for the rest of my life. Thanks again for the great podcast, and thanks for listening. All right, Elizabeth. Oh, man. Sometimes we just do things that it's hard for us to explain why we do them, but for whatever stinking reason, in that moment, the zeitgeist moved within us and we thought, yeah, this would be a good idea. I'll do this. This will be hilarious, or this will be funny, or this will be, I don't know, provocative. And our brain latches onto it. And we look back on it and go, oof, maybe I crossed the line. I should not have said that. Sounds like that's where you are. Elizabeth, I actually think the the advice your therapist gave you is great, and I'm actually going to ask Betty to do the same thing. Scripting about what it would be like if and when you got found out is a great exposure for real event. It's not to say we need to convince ourselves that it's going to happen. It's not to say that we we are going to show ourselves how how we'd get how we'd get through it and how everything would eventually be fine. It's neither one of those. It is to allow our brain to be in that place 
that everything is going to go sideways for us and that we are going to get caught. And then we need to sit with that thought. And we need to then learn that that thought is all right. That thought is then not to be scrutinized or believed or responded to even. But it's to acknowledge that that thought exists, that potential future is out there. For you, Elizabeth, and for you, Betty, it's both out there. And for me, Kevin, it's all out there. Now, think about it as we've got a bajillion different future options. One of those futures is that. But we don't know which one we're going to go down, right? We don't know which path we're going to be on. Because you're also not worried about the event or the potential future where nothing happens. The potential future where it continues to be the most hilarious thing that your brother experienced or the funniest thing that you did, Elizabeth. Or it's that one where you do get canceled and it is found out that you are this awful, terrible, spiteful, rude person. Or again, it's maybe nothing, right? It's that we don't know. All of those things are in the future, but you are pre-mourning all those events. You're pre-mourning all of that and beating yourself up and confirming, I bet you're confirming that, you're, that you are this awful person. I noticed in your response, you said, I know I'm a really, really good person, which I'm willing to bet your anxious brain says, I know I'm actually an awful, awful human. Or whatever verbiage you might use against yourself. So Betty, before I so Betty, previous previous uh, uh, writer uh, and listener, um, write a script. You can talk with a therapist about it. You can look it up online. They're relatively easy to do. They'd be it would be a good exercise for you, Elizabeth. To your question, does anybody ever really move on from this type of OCD? So the question I'm going to ask for you, Elizabeth, is: Are you willing to let yourself move on from this? This is in your court. A lot of this is going to be in your court, meaning, are you willing to let yourself off the hook? Sometimes we don't let ourselves off the hook, and this is what keeps this type of anxiety and worry and guilt and obsession fresh and new and exciting and terrifying. We ruminate about it and we say, I am this awful, terrible person. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. We play the event out numerous times in our head and think about, well, what could I have done differently? Or we go, oh my gosh, and then I did that thing and it was so awful. Or we play out future scenarios in our head and say, this thing is going to happen, then this thing is going to happen, and this person's going to find out. And we spend all of our time doing this, but to what end? to figure out whether or not we are actually a bad person, to try to give confirmation that you are actually still a good person, as you told me, or to try to assure ourselves. If I could go back in time and had it not been for the trauma, had it not been for my depression, it would have been different and I would have done something different. So, whew, I'm still a good person. I just did this thing under duress of trauma. All of that is compulsive and needs to stop as soon as humanly possible, as best you can. Now, it does not mean that we are alleviating ourselves of guilt, that feeling that we've done something wrong. Now, you may have done something wrong, you may not have done something wrong, that can be debated. But we still have that feeling, you still have that feeling, and you're going to have to accept the presence of that icky, yucky grossness. 
it can be helpful then to take some time to think about where it, where you feel it, how you feel it, and can you let yourself have it and have it in a clean way, meaning have it in a way where you're not going to fight against it or you're not going to try to turn it into something else, but just kind of go like, it feels bad because sometimes things feel bad, right? But they also go away. All right. So with that feeling, you're going to let it be there. But the question for you is, are you willing to stop beating yourself up and to take yourself off the hook and to say, this has been time served for the punishment, and I've received my punishment for this event. You are the only person who's punishing yourself. Your brother is not punishing you. I don't hear anybody else. You've, you've, you haven't mentioned anybody else is punishing you for this. So this is on you. Are you willing to say, I've done enough and now I'm actively no longer going to beat myself up through thought or through withholding love or withholding opportunities or withholding anything else and to say, I'm just going to continue to live my life. And when that thought pops up, I'm going to go, but I'm going to reshift and keep moving forward. Right? You've heard me use the example before of, of the supermarket, right? We walk down the supermarket, let's say we're there for cheese. We go in for the cheese and we see that gross food, whatever it is, that disgusting thing that's over there. Maybe it's the, you know, if it's if it's Thanksgiving time, it's gonna be the 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 the, the turkey and mashed potato and gravy flavored soda. Blah. We might see that and go, oh, that looks awful. But are you going to get stuck looking at that and just going, I can't believe they, they stock that. What sort of a store would stock that? How awful. Where's the manager? Let me go full Karen on this person and yell at them. Are you going to do that? Probably not. You're going to see that soda and go, Bleh. and then you'll go, oh yeah, cheese. And you'll move on to the cheese and you're not going to spend any further amount of time thinking about that disgusting soda or whatever else gross food it is for you. That is going to be your job. It's to acknowledge that thought, acknowledge those feelings, <sighs> take a breath, relax that body of yours, and redirect that attention towards the future and towards the next thing. I'm willing to bet you've tried to reconcile with your brother. If you have, great. No longer do that. Carry on the relationship as if you have done it. If you feel it to be helpful, if you have not already talked to your brother about it, you can do a one-and-done apology. Sometimes when we, when we feel that we've hurt somebody's feelings, it can be helpful to have a one-and-done moment where we apologize for the, quote, thing that we've done wrong, right? It is up to that other person to let us off the hook from their perspective or, or to say, gosh, that really hurt my feeling, and here are the things that we can do to rectify our relationship. And then you, within reason, try to do those things. If you've already done that, and I suspect you have, then you need to move forward. Acknowledge, I've done it, I've done the, I've done the steps, I've done all the things that I need to do, and now I'm going to move on. Now, obviously, all of this is easier said than done. The scripting is certainly going to help you to make space for that feeling and allow it to be there. But your job is to then resist that mental exercise of beating yourself up, because that is what's keeping this going. So, Elizabeth, I hope that was helpful. Keep it up. If you want to send in a follow-up and just let us know how you're doing since this, uh, since this, uh, I would love to hear it, and I'm sure other listeners would love to hear it as well. So best of luck, and thanks so much. 
All right, everybody. Thanks so much for making it through the follow-up to the uh, uh, to the Real Event OCD podcast. If you would like to listen to the Real Event OCD, you can go back and, and listen in the archives. You can go over to fearcastpodcast.com. It's going to be there. You can also get it. If the internet is cooperating, you can get it over at Spotify. You can get it at iTunes. You can go get it at, um, at uh, Android Podcasts or whatever they're calling it now. Um, go check it out over there. And um, and if you have questions for for me about Real Event OCD, how it works, how you experience it, what you can do about it, feel free to uh, go send me an email. Go over to fearcastpodcast.com. You know, I haven't mentioned this in a while, but you can also record a question and you can email it to me. And uh, you can go email it to questions at fearcastpodcast.com. So if you want to record audio just from your phone and send it over to me, I will put that on a future episode. And you know what? I will give all of those audios priority over text ones. Um, So if you want your question answered sooner or faster, send in an audio. I'll put that in and we will make it happen. So um, everybody, uh, again, if you have feedback for me about uh, maybe what I missed or what else Elizabeth or Betty can do, feel free to go over to fearcastpodcast.com and let me know there. Uh, go to go uh, and submit through the submit a question link and I will see it. So, um, again, if you need help, uh, please remember the FearCast is not substitute for psychotherapy. If you need help in your treatment, go over to fearcastpodcast.com, go to the find help link and there'll be some information for you. But until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.